the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition. Welcome to another edition of the Advanced Colorado Thinged Up Down Roundown. Run, rundown. Run down, golly geez. Uh, my name is George Brockler, and this is Michael Fields. And today we have some very special guests. Uh, up to this point, we've really relied on people who were subject matter experts. Today, we've gone a different direction. We've gone with people who are both good looking and entertaining. Without further ado, let me introduce them. My name is George Brockler, and this is Michael Fields. <laughs> we're going to talk to you today about uh, stuff that appears on the ballot, not candidate stuff, and honestly, not ju- judge stuff. No one can understand that anyway, but the uh, the ballot measure stuff. And so uh, what I want to do is begin with, Michael, if you could do a brief description for folks of what is the difference between the stuff they're going to see that says amendment and the stuff they're going to see that says proposition. Yeah. So first of all, uh, I want to point out before we get into all these that uh, Advanced Colorado really only has officially taken a stand on one ballot measure, and that's Prop 121, which we'll get into in a little bit, the tax cut. Uh, these other ones we're just going to talk through, give our thoughts on, try to educate people about. Uh, but basically, the difference between amendments and propositions are one goes in the Constitution. Amendments go in the Constitution. You need 55 percent of the vote in order to pass those. Uh, propositions are statutes, they're laws, they need 50%, but the legislature could change those at any point if they uh, pass a bill to alter them. So uh, amendments are much bigger deal. It used to be that there's 50% uh, that you needed to pass an amendment to, so everybody would just put amendments on the ballot, uh, but we're past those days. So we have three amendments on the ballot, the rest of them are, are propositions. And it's important to note that the if there's a letter next to it, you know, A, B, C, D, E, uh, that it comes from the legislature. If there's a number next to it, uh, like 121 or 122, then people got signatures. They went and got 125,000 valid signatures to get it on the ballot. And those are citizens like us that are putting those things forward. Uh, I guess we'll start at the top here with Amendment D. That is about the new 23rd Judicial District judges. Uh, I'll take that one, if you don't mind, Michael. Yeah. Um Go ahead. We have not had a new judicial district in the state of Colorado since the early mid-60s when I think the 17th through the 22nd judicial districts were created, including my former office, the 18th judicial district. We divide up the prosecution function along 22 judicial districts that run along county lines that comprise those 64 counties. Uh, This new one is going to be actually carved out of an existing jurisdiction. So the 18th, which is huge. And it's got the best looking, smartest people in it. But nonetheless, Arapahoe County is going to be carved off to make its own 18th judicial district. And the new 23rd will be Douglas, Elbert and Lincoln counties. Well, right now there are judges sitting in Arapahoe, Douglas, Elbert and Lincoln counties, all part of the 18th judicial district. 
they can't just by wave of a hand or by a signature on a piece of paper become judges in the new judicial district. As you know, according to the Constitution, judicial district judges have to be appointed there through the normal process. In this particular case, this is an amendment that is designed specifically for the 23rd to say, hey, those judges that are in the 18th, the governor will reappoint them into the 23rd, and they have until November of 2024 to move into the 23rd or the 18th, wherever they're going to be, wherever they're going to sit as judges. Um, there's a couple things to know about this. One, there's, in my opinion, there's absolutely no need at all to have extended the time to move into the jurisdiction to November of 2024. They've known about this for the years that it's been on the book so far. They could have moved. I don't know why we're buying them additional time. But here's the reason this is important. If this amendment fails, if you vote no on this amendment, that means whoever the governor is, whether it's Governor Polis or Jared Polis, or Heidi Ganahl, um, that person is going to get to a point into the new 23rd because no judges will already exist there. So every single judge in the 23rd will be appointed by the sitting governor as opposed to already dividing up the judges that have been appointed over the course of really Ritter, Hickenlooper, and Polis. And that's really all this is about. It's about not upending the apple cart and appointing judges to start on the first day of the judicial district. You're taking the existing judges and just kind of reapportioning them according to the judicial districts that exist on January, and they'll be able to continue to pick up with the cases that they have. Yeah, and I've heard some people talk about, you know, the complaining about the governor appointing judges. Like, that's hap that happens anyway, right? We can talk about yep. a different structure in the future or something like that, but uh, no matter what, you know, you're you're a judge, you're appointed by the governor, correct? Every single judge at every single level of state government, district court, that's your trial judges, the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court, they're all appointed by the governor. That doesn't change. If 23 fails, I mean, if Amendment D fails, then the 23rd Judicial District will be filled with judges that are all appointed by Governor Polis, and they none of them hit the ground running until January. Like some of them may not even be judges, and they right. won't be until January. If this passes, then none of that happens. Then the judges that already exist get reapportioned. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't keep us from saying, hey, we don't want to retain this judge or that judge in an upcoming election. It just means for that moment in time, as we cross over from the 18th to the 18th and the 23rd, there is some continuity there and it's not wholly impacted by a single governor. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that's very helpful for people to understand uh, you know, about the new 23rd district. So let's go on to Amendment E. Uh, I, I want to highlight though, that is all I will bring to this conversation. That right there is <laughs> everything. Is, true. The rest of it is all you. We, we still got alcohol coming up. So you're oh, yeah, yeah. I love the booze. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amendment E. So basically this one is extending the homestead tax exemption uh, to gold star spouses. So thinking about, you know, the people who died while in uh, serving their country or died afterwards in something that was related to that service. So uh, this is an important one. This is one that went to voters, uh, every Democrat, every Republican voted in favor of it. And the homestead uh, tax exemption basically uh, allows you to write off the first 200,000, uh, 100 of the first $200,000 on your home. Uh, and, you know, I think that it should be extended even further uh, there's been proposals to say, you know what, housing has gone up so much where you have, you know, 600, $800,000 houses, uh, we should be exempting more of it. But I think this is something that should pass pass resoundingly uh, is a good idea. Right now it's for seniors and disabled veterans 
this would just add uh, gold star spouses to it. So I don't know if you have anything to add on that one. No, just that the $200,000, that's like baby step on our way to where we should be. That's like being able to write off the taxes on your garage. And it's you know, only you get 100 of the first 200, right? right. So it's like it, it's really a $100,000 uh, write off when we have yeah, houses that. But it's know, just are... taxes on that 100000 Yeah. So I, it, listen, it's the right idea. It's a great step forward, um, but it could be bigger. Yeah. Amendment F. Uh, this is the bingo one. I don't know if you want to take this, but basically right now you have to be an organization for five years before you can do bingo or other such games to raise money for charities. Um, this would make it three years. I don't have any problem with with that. Uh, it would also uh, allow people to be paid to organize or manage bingo. Uh, you know, Some of the criticism is as well, if you're paying people, then that's less money going to the charity. Uh, but I, you know, I think that's a a small thing. This is another thing that, you know, obviously got brought, uh, by, with bipartisan support to voters. I don't think this is the most important, uh, ballot issue that we're going to be voting on this year. No, no, I don't think so either. In fact, whether it wins or loses, I can't see a meaningful impact on my life. (laughs) Uh, so those are the amendments. If we go on to, uh, Prop FF is the first one. So this is free. And, and these are the statutory things, mm-hmm. right? These are the That's things true. the legislature can swoop in and change at a moment's notice. Right, which I think is important to know when you're approving money on anything that that money is going to go to the legislature or wherever this program is, no matter what, they could always change where that money goes, right? Yep. So there's no guarantee that things will go to affordable housing or uh, even free meals, right? Like once you approve that money, uh, it's really at the discretion of the legislature. So I think it's- and honestly. When you're in an environment where you can't even trust legislators to stay in the same party that they've always been in, and that's not a reference to any one person or party, um, you know, how can you trust them to not take the money you've approved and push it around to some other effort? So, yeah, but this one's about free meals for every kid in Colorado. Uh, we already have a state and federal program that is been around for a long time that provides free lunch to uh, low income families, families who need it. Um, and so you have free and reduced lunch program that's pretty robust. This would, though, make it eligible for everybody to get free lunch. And what it does is it raises taxes by lowering uh, the deductions that you can make on your taxes if you make over $300,000. And basically, it's a $100 million program. Uh, and the thing that I'm concerned about with this is the impact that it could have on charitable giving. So you think about your write-offs. Uh, that includes, you know, your your charitable giving. And you saw this happen in Hawaii where they did something similar. They capped deductions on, chari- on, ch- on charitable giving and uh, they got $12 million in revenue. And then people gave $60 million less to charities. And so a couple of years later, they actually came in and reversed it uh, and said they're going to get rid of it because of the impact it had on, on charities. And recently... Um, Philanthropy Daily wrote an article about this, uh, and they said, if passed, this measure would lead to significant declines in charitable contributions. Mm. As a result, the work of many charities throughout Colorado, including those that provide services to children, would suffer. So this is something that, you know, some other states have tried, reversed. um, And I think, you know, you look at the fact that, one, do people need uh, free lunches that can afford it, like your family or my family? Um, and what's the trade-off on that? And then, you know, is you think about inflation, um, 
food is one of the highest uh, things that, that's driving inflation right now. They could totally underestimate how much this is going to cost. Yeah, that's right. On the other hand, if they overestimated that hundred million, they're not sending the money back to the people. Right. right. Oh no, no, no! It's theirs now. It's theirs now. Yep. It sounds like the personal opinion of Michael Fields is FF off. Is that right? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, and we talked about this before too. But Jared Polis even came out and said, "You know what? If we're going to raise revenue, maybe it should go to teacher pay or something else." Yeah, yeah. Instead of meals for high income or or middle income people. Uh, nobody, you know, when you put a survey out, like what's wrong with schools these days, it's not like, well, the rich kids don't have a free meal. Uh, it's that teachers aren't getting paid enough or, you know, kids aren't learning enough. And so money, you know, I don't think that we need more revenue. Uh, I don't think we need to in- increase taxes, but the question is, is then where does that money go if we do? And I don't think this one should be high on the list. I also am not a fan of creating yet another entitlement to try to encourage that next generation or even this generation to think in terms of the government as, oh, the government provides food at school. The government provides this. The government provides that. That's George talking right there. I just I don't like the idea of expanding it, especially as Michael pointed out. It's not means tested. I mean, my kids get to eat and eat well because of, you know, the the life that I live and the jobs that I have. And there are those that can't. Let's help them. Let's not help me out. Yep, totally. Agree. My kids are big eaters, so just you know. <laughs> I know mine too. I'm be like, guys, you know that. Yeah, that's right. Bossed you. Uh, so, prop uh, GG. Yeah, prop GG. Yeah, you've got a great opinion on this one. Yeah, so this one is adding a table into any kind of tax cut that might be on the ballot. So we're going to talk next about the tax cut that we have on Prop 121. Um, but basically, this is the legislature uh, trying to meddle in the process and say, let's make it harder to cut taxes. Uh, And so they want to put this chart inside the ballot language when in every other ballot measure, you got to open up the blue book to look for the charts, right? The chart is in there. uh, Every other info for and against all this stuff. What they've done over the last few years is try to make it harder to cut taxes. And that includes adding new ballot language that talks about uh, how cuts are going to happen to education and prisons and health. Falsely. Total lie, uh, which we've, we've talked about before. But this is just making it more complex. And you think about Colorado's ballot, you have to have 22, you have to be in the 22nd grade of education to understand Colorado's ballot. This just makes it more, you know, longer and more complex. And really, it is the legislature upset about how voters vote on stuff. So let's try to bias it as much as possible. Uh, So I I think this is a bad idea. Uh, And it just opens up the, you know, the floodgates to what else are we going to put in ballot language that biases uh, you know, the outcome. Nope. I agree. That language is available. That information is available. If it were not, I would say, okay, yeah, I want more information, but this isn't super secret stuff. This is just trying to dissuade folks from voting for, um, for tax cuts. cuts. In fact, that gets us to the very next proposition. Yeah. 121, which is a $400 million tax cut. Uh, and basically, it would take the income tax from 4.55 to 4.4%. Uh, a couple of years ago, we cut the income tax uh, by about $200 million. It passed overwhelmingly. I think this one will too. But you think about, we want to be competitive with other states, right? We want to keep low income tax. We don't want to tax stuff that we want more of. We want more income. We want more yeah, yeah. Working, productive. Uh, and it's one of those ballot issues that has the support of both gubernatorial candidates what? And That's unheard of. Are both supporting this measure, knowing that our budget's so big that we're in Tabor refund territory right now where we're getting money back. Let's make the cut where it doesn't impact uh, services right now, but it makes us more competitive in the long run. It's a, it's a good idea.
do the tax cuts we're achieving here, the two hundred million before and the four hundred million now, do those offset the fee slash tax increases that have been imposed on us without our input? No, they don't. Uh, you think about you know there was a five point four billion dollar gas tax bill that Damn. passed. Uh, you have you know three hundred million dollar bill uh, that raised property taxes. You have a bunch of other fees. Uh, it doesn't even do that, but it's a it's a good start. Uh, you know, you think in three years we could cut taxes by six hundred million dollars, uh, and we're still getting more revenue in, right? This is the whole argument last time was, hey, we're gonna everybody's gonna have less for schools and all these different services we need if we cut the the income tax rate. Well, we cut the rate and we gotten more revenue. What? That's who thought of that art laugher? What's that about? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And they're making the same arguments again, you know, bell policy and, and fiscal uh, Colorado fiscal uh, Institute doing the same stuff. So this is a good ballot measure. We're supporting it. We're officially supporting it at advanced Colorado. I, Personally, this is George speaking here, support anything that allows me to keep more of my hard-earned bucks and give less to the people that spend it on goofiness. Yeah, and and so you're uh, actually probably a bigger expert on the next one, which is Prop 122, Magic Mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Prop 122 is legalizing the di- the two different kinds of mushrooms. Right now, they're Schedule One controlled substances. That's psilocybin and Silicon, uh, those are the kind that make you cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, now, the argument in favor of them is there is some potential therapeutic value for folks who are suffering from certain mental maladies. Uh, and then the other argument is one where they try to expand on what we did with marijuana, and that is this idea of personal responsibility and adults and all this other stuff. The bottom line is this. If you like what legalizing marijuana did for Colorado, maybe this is one you want to look into. If you're not that big of a fan of what's happened to our state since we've gone with legalizing recreational marijuana, probably time to say no to this. It's Denver, I think, that was the genesis for this. Mm -hmm. And uh, Denver has already made it. And as you know, the garden spot of Colorado is not Denver, but uh, they have gone ahead and, and done this. They would like the entire state to have this forced upon them as well. Uh, It's not something from a public safety standpoint that makes us better, more law-abiding, or smarter. Uh, I think anything that we can do to encourage people to be more responsible, more law-abiding, and more productive, I'd be in favor of this is the opposite of all three of those. Yeah, and this is one that I don't think has a really good chance of of passing. Uh, Denver, passing in Denver was a little bit of a surprise, and it was one thing, but statewide, Uh, especially, you know, with the drug uh, crisis that we have right now, I don't think anybody's, uh, you know, going to be really supportive of of legalizing this. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I think that was a good breakdown of of that one. The next one's Prop 123, uh, which is, you know, quote unquote, for affordable housing, but another tax increase where they're taking our Tabor refunds, uh, $300 million Tabor refunds, in order to uh, provide grants and other programs to create uh, new affordable housing units. Uh, they haven't come out with the exact number of how many that will be, but we're talking a few thousand new units across the state uh, per year. And the problem that we have right now is that we are 225,000 units under where we need to be, according to the state of Colorado, which drives up costs, right? If you have a a supply and demand issue. You have a bunch of people who want housing, uh, the demand's high, and you have a lack of supply. The way that you fix that market is by increasing supply, getting regulations out of the way, uh, making sure that zoning gets through quickly. There's stuff that we can do to lower the cost of housing. 
and not have government become more involved, taking over. No other state has tried this before. We'd be the first state to experiment on this. Uh, and it's $300 million a year from our Tabor refunds. Dang. And, you know, you just think about there, again, there's no guarantee that it's going to go to this, that it's going to work. Uh, I think that it's better to to talk about these different reforms, including capping property taxes. And, you know, we talked about the Marshall fire where, uh, yeah, you know, right. the houses burn down. It takes $30,000 more to build the exact same house because of the new regulations. Let's lessen regulations. Let's speed up the process, work with developers. What do they need to make sure that they're developing quickly so we can catch up uh, with that supply shortage? So I think there's a lot better solutions than this $300 million plan. The next three propositions are known as Colorado's booze cruise uh, propositions 124 through 126. 124 increases the number of liquor store locations because right now you may have to drive several blocks to get to your hooch. Uh, this is an effort to try to create more of those. Uh, me personally, listen, I'm a free market guy. I don't like the idea of the government coming in and limiting too much. There's obviously a role to play there in regulation, including things like marijuana and alcohol. Uh, this one, I guess we'll let the market decide. I think what's interesting is it is, in my opinion, Michael, it is definitely impacted by the next proposition, 125. Yeah, so 125 uh, basically allows grocery stores and convenience stores to sell wine. You remember the big battle a couple of years ago uh, that allowed grocery stores and convenience stores to sell beer. Uh, this would extend it to, to wine too. And I think both of these last two measures have a lot to do with small liquor, you know, liquor stores, small businesses versus kind of, uh, you know, do they get put out of business potentially or uh, have to find a different way to, to survive when bigger businesses are able to have more locations and to have more uh, options, including including wine. So the wine one is 125. There's also Proposition 126. And, and just to give you some perspective here, Proposition 124 says you don't have as many options as you should when it comes to buying alcohol, so let's have more liquor stores. 125 says you should be able to buy wine right out of your grocery store because it's too hard to get to the liquor stores. Proposition 126 is saying you should not only have access to more alcohol, why should you have to leave your house to get it? Third-party delivery of alcohol beverages is on the ballot with 126 again depends on if you're a teetotaler or not honestly if uh if you're interested in seeing what the market would do with these things uh, and you're open to that idea and i'm open to the market having a bigger hand than government in here and really this is kind of taking the yoke a little bit off of this industry i'm inclined to want to support it but i i just listen this isn't going to make us a more sober society it's not going to make us a more productive society it may make us a freer society and it's likely going to make us a drunker society but i'm not sure that the role of government should be to step in and keep people from ruining their livers inside their homes yeah i agree and and the nice thing about all these and you know this isn't something that the legislature is going to decide it's what the people want and so they can read up about it uh can decide do they want these different options third party you know wine and grocery stores do they want bigger businesses being able to, to sell, you know, this is, uh, you know, really a free market discussion. Uh, and so I, I agree that I think, you know, these are ones that people are going to look, read up closely, and at least they get a say instead of the legislature. And I think with all these ballot issues, right, you think about how important ballot measures are, uh, that candidates are important, but, you know, a lot of these ballot measures impact people for decades. And there's a few on this ballot that I think could have an impact, like the income tax cut, uh, like, 
the affordable housing measure, right? These are the types of things that could go on for a long period of time or not. And, you know, we uh, don't focus quite as much on ballot issues all the time, but think about how important Tabor's been to the state and how much uh, money we've saved because we've had the taxpayers' bill of rights. Uh, and even shot down, you know, you and I worked on the Prop CC yeah, ballot, right. a ballot measure a few years ago against it. And now we all got $750 checks this year. That's different. That, that was from the Colorado cashback. <laughs> yeah, Michael, that totally has nothing to do with Tabor. Yeah. I heard the governor. In fact, that's what CC stood for was Colorado cash. And then back was added. Yeah, uh, but it's going to be $11 billion over the next three years. So these can have a big impact. I hope people study up, learn about them. Uh, and then also, you know, come up with your own ideas for stuff that you want to put on on the ballot and, you know, help get people to sign it, get funding for it. But there's a lot of good ideas out of the, out here that will not get through the legislature or get signed by the governor uh, that we can pass. And so I love the process here in Colorado where citizens can do that. I do, too. I am worried, though, about the efforts, and maybe this is a different episode, to thwart the will of the public to do an end run around the party in power and the legislature. And I'll give you a couple examples. Mike, you lived them. And that was uh, the title board uh, hosed you on a specific effort to try to get to voters. There's been some other efforts where judges have intervened to keep things from, you know, petitions to being circulated, signatures to being gathered. Um, This effort here by some to add language to these ballot measures to try to dissuade people from considering them seriously or voting for them. There are a lot of attempts to keep Colorado's uh, voters from having the voice that the constitution intended them to have. Uh, That's probably another episode, Ben. And I think you're right. And I think that, you know, part of that is that we got to keep at it. And uh, you know, there was one, we talked truth and sentencing, right. That they they booted out. Uh, We got to keep bringing that type of stuff back. And I also think though, even with the ballot language and everything, um, yes, they're trying to bias it, but I think people are smart and that we can educate people about what it means. And even with that language in, do you want a tax cut or not? Uh, so I think there's, you know, there's still hope that we can get good policies through, even though the deck is stacked against us uh, and it's getting worse. And so, uh, you know, we'll see. But I agree uh, that, you know, we don't give up on ballot measures uh, by any means, um, but it is making it more difficult given the system is trying to stop this from happening. So that is because whose hands are on the levers of government and it doesn't, that's not really a partisan comment, but anyway, that's it. Another fantastic edition of the advanced Colorado rundown. You've been listening to the advanced Colorado rundown brought to you by advanced Colorado, the conservative thought leader driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at advancedcolorado.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.